Hi, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. We just celebrated five years of Bible studies on the University of Georgia campus, which is crazy. So for our fall worship night, we decided to invite a special guest to come speak. So Hannah Bringer is the author of a study that we love and somebody we just love to follow along with. We were so grateful she was able to come and share with us, and we wanted to share that talk here on the podcast. We have a really special guest coming to speak to y'all tonight. Um, we are so excited. Her name is Hannah Brincher, and she's just amazing. But many of y'all have read her books and done her study. Um, and we just are so, so excited and blessed to have her with us tonight. So I want y'all to give a warm welcome to Hannah, who's going to come speak to us. How is everyone doing? Good. You having a good evening? I am so excited to be with you tonight. This has been a long time in the making. I think Sims and I, I went back through the email chain and we started trying to coordinate this gathering back in 2021, which was like a whole different world, a whole pandemic ago. I had a baby in between all of that. Um, and so I'm so excited that it's finally happening and taking shape tonight. And I just believe that like God knew and orchestrated that for such a time as this. And yeah, I'm just so excited to be here in person with you guys. Um, my name is Hannah Brencher. If we've not met, I am an author. I am an online educator and a mental health advocate. Um, I'm a mom to a three-year-old. Uh, she is adorable. Her whole entire personality right now is princess dresses just princess dresses. Um, as you can tell probably from me, like she did not get that love from me. Um, I don't even know if I own a dress. Um, but I wear black, she wears pink, God is working. Um, I've been married to my husband Lane for uh, nearly seven years. We met on a dating app, we met on Hinge, swiped right. Um, so I'm an advocate for the dating apps as well. Go ahead, go forth. Um, <laughs> a few things just to know about me. I am a huge Bible nerd. I love the word of God. If I can just encourage you with anything that you take away today, it just would be to read this book and just read this book as much as you can, what you understand, what you don't understand. When I first started reading the Bible at 22, I was like, I don't know what is happening here. But God met me in that space, and our intimacy grew from that place. Another thing to know about me is I love stories. I am definitely a storyteller. I believe fully in the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because I think we have a chance to see God all the time. I see God in the Bible. I see him at trips to Target. I see him in episodes of The Bachelor. I believe he is in everything. If only we have the eyes to be looking for him. The other thing to know about me is that I don't know how to do small talk. I am terribly awkward at it. So if we talk afterwards and I'm awkward, let's just agree I'm awkward. Um, my friend says that there's two types of people. There are dolphins and there are whales. Now, I don't know if there's any research to back this, but she was pretty convincing when she told me. Um, dolphins are people that are just like the life of the party. Like they see a gathering like this and like, absolutely, I'm going to be there front row, love to talk to people. Any dolphins in the room? Like, okay, a few. Yes. 
The other, the other bunch of us might be more on the whale side. Um, whales are a little bit more introverted, kind of stick to ourselves, thought, okay, there's going to be a lot of people here, not really sure if I want to go. Um, if there's queso, typically we will show up for it. Um, but also whales, I think, like, we have the capacity to go deep. We want to talk about what matters. And so... I always say I have one level, it is titanic level deep, and I lead with vulnerability so that we can go to the heart of things at a very, at a quick rate in a short amount of time, and I think that's important here. And so I'm gonna do my best just to lead with vulnerability in my story because I believe that when we share where we are on the map, God can meet us there and he can do big breakthroughs in that place. And finally, before I pray, I just want to fill you with a moment of encouragement. That you're sitting here in your seat and you can just breathe because you made it here. And for some people, I know that was probably a challenge. And for some of you, you probably thought, I didn't even really want to come tonight, but I'm here. And like putting on the pants or the shorts, that was the victory today. And I just want to say that I honor that and I'm so thankful that you did show up and I believe that God is going to move. And so I want to pray that he would just speak through me the words that you need to hear in the ways that you need to meet him tonight. So God, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for the chance to know you better, to know your word better. God, you do these talks so much better than I do. So I just pray that you would take over, God, that you would just speak through me, that I would just be your instrument. God, I pray that you meet every young woman in this room, God, with something unique and special for them because you see us and you care about those small details. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So... A little while after I moved to Atlanta, I am a transplant. Is anybody here from New England? We should just get that out of the way. No? Y'all all from the South? Or all around? Okay, there we go. Okay, so I moved here from Connecticut. It's a little bit different up north. Um, and about a year into living here, I would always have like college students from our college ministry like come hang out at my office space in Atlanta. And there was one particular guy, Blake, that would show up often. And on the first day of spending time with Blake, um, we were having a conversation and it felt like all throughout the conversation, he was saying impressive thing after impressive thing after impressive thing. And at one point in the conversation, I stopped him and I said, Blake, just tell me something real. Like, tell me something that you haven't already said a few hundred times or, like, rehearsed. And he stopped and he said, you know, I wake up every single day wondering if any of this matters. He says, I go to sleep by the light of my phone checking likes, retweets, places where I've shared, places where I've quote-unquote mattered throughout the day. And he says, and it never fills me for more than five seconds before I have to go looking for it again. He said, I waited all day to get this text from you so that I could get up, get dressed, and go matter somewhere. He said, I feel like I'm almost always waiting on a text from someone that says, come matter here. And when he said that, it hit me because I knew that story. And I lived that story for so long. For years, I was consumed by what it would mean to matter to the world, to someone, to God. 
I struggled with what researchers have titled purpose anxiety, the fear that my life had to matter and it was on me to make it matter. And honestly, I look back and I realize it manifested in a lot of striving. It was always just achieve more, just do more, just do better in school, take on another major, climb the ladder, prove to everyone that you are good enough, that you are okay, that you are successful. And the great thing about ambition is that when you're doing that, people don't really ask questions when you're holding it all together. They just assume from the surface, from the looks of things, you're doing fine, you're golden. But from behind the screen, I quickly lost myself. I lost myself to success. I lost myself to stages, to crowds, to importance. In one of the most beautiful stories that God had ever given me, while getting to help people every single day in my work, I lost myself because I became so consumed with thinking that what God had for me was more valuable than God himself. And so at the pinnacle of all of this, where it really came to a halt, is when I packed up my life and I moved to Atlanta from Connecticut, as I said. Um, I knew approximately two people, one of those people from Twitter, um, but I decided that was enough for me to move down south. It was like culture shock. Like, you guys actually talk to each other in Target. It's wild. I learned very quickly, bless your heart, is like not a kind thing. Um, but so I realized that I didn't really want to root myself when I got here. I felt God had really called me to Atlanta, but I didn't really want to have to do any of the things that were uncomfortable that he was like asking me to do. And I thought that if I could just run away from it and not face it, then maybe like maybe I would have left that thing in Connecticut. When in actuality, I think every one of us knows this. If you have a problem and you pack your bags and you go somewhere else, that problem is not going away. It's going to go with you. And so I didn't root myself, and I didn't let people in, and I didn't do any of the things I think God was actually wanting me to do in that season, and the striving continued. It just continued in a different place. Um, and I look back, and I realize that there were a lot of warning signs that I was headed in a bad direction, that I was headed for depression. Um, I had struggled with depression once before. I thought depression at the time was like the chicken pox. If you had it once, you couldn't get it again. Statistics actually, actually show that if you've had depression once, there is a high chance that you will struggle with it again. Um, I was isolating myself. I was on my phone more than ever before. I was crying every single night. I was dealing with highly anxious thoughts. And at the end of 2014, I experienced a pretty serious crash. I went from fully functioning to barely even being able to do some of the most basic tasks. It was like my brain shut down. I was hospitalized. I was diagnosed with severe depression. And I was told by doctors that it would take six to 12 months of intense rehabilitative therapy to get me back to a normal functioning state. Now I share all of this pretty quickly and upfront because this was the darkest point in my life. And I used to think that it was too messy to get up to a place like this and talk about it. But I've been reminded again and again and again that God uses us more in the mud pit than he does on the podium. 
than he does on the stage. And so I'll never forget having a conversation with one of my friends. And I was crying into the phone and I was saying to him, I just want to go back to normal. Like if everything could just go back to normal, like I would figure it out, I would do the right things, I wouldn't mess up again. And I remember him saying into the phone, I hate to tell you this, but it's your normal that got you to this place. He said, when a tree gets struck by lightning, it never goes back to normal. You are going to have to build a new kind of normal. And ever since that crash, that is what I've been doing every single day. I have been rebuilding a new kind of normal. And today, I want to make sure beyond my story, I'm rooting us somewhere in scripture. Um, and so I want to take you to a piece of scripture that I have returned to again and again and again in many seasons of my life, at times where I have wondered what matters, God, and what matters in this season. So if you do have a Bible or if you want to open on your phone, we're going to be heading to Jeremiah 29. Now, Jeremiah 29, a few things. Um, people's natural inclination is to steer towards one specific verse, right? Jeremiah 29. 11, right? Yes. Before I was a Christian, that was like totally my safety verse. My mom would be like, you want to come to church? I'm like, no, I know Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm good. Then I went through like a really intense stage where I just was like, no, that's not my favorite verse. Like my favorite verse is intense things like Leviticus. I find my favorite verses in like Deuteronomy. Um, but coming back to this chapter in Jeremiah, I began to see this story through a whole different lens. You see, Jeremiah 29, for those that are unfamiliar, it's a letter by God through the prophet Jeremiah to a people that have been taken from their home in Jerusalem and are now planted in exile in a land called Babylon. This is a place that is not their home. They are not happy to be there. Um, and so he's writing to these people that are in captivity. They're enduring um, a really hard season, and that's one of the big focal points of this chapter. But it's getting to the point of realizing that even though they are in these hard circumstances, God is still at work for their good. He is always at work for our good. And so we can imagine that a lot of these people didn't want to be there. It wasn't comfortable. It was this in-between period that I think many of us sitting here in the room have acknowledged, whether that is in between cities, it's in between relationships, it's in between seasons. But the Lord relays through Jeremiah that after 70 years of being in exile in Babylon, not a day sooner and not a year later, he is going to fulfill his promise to his people. He will lead them out of exile and he will give them a hope and a future. So God's saying right here, yes, you are going to get the promises, but it's going to take 70 years. And in that 70 years, in this strange place that you may not want to be in, here is what I want you to do. And what I love is that God gives the people something that kind of resembles like an instruction manual. God didn't tell them to sit on their hands and wait for something to shift. He gave them several things that I want to break down today because I'm just a huge 
passionate fan of action steps. I think inspiration is great, but I think that the material we get in these places is in danger of being ineffective if we don't use the material to initiate a process that changes us as we move forward and out of this place. And so picking up in verse four, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So a few things that I want to pull out from this tonight. The first of those being, I think the first directive that God is giving here is stay here. Stay here is probably one of the hardest pieces of advice to put out there when you just want to get on to the next thing. Amen, right? But God says, build houses and make yourself at home in this place. Translation, you are not camping out right now. Wherever God has you is where he wants you. And it may not be the place you want to be in, but it is a place. And God is not a God who orchestrates accidents. Here's what God isn't saying to the people of Babylon. He's not saying, wait to start your life for when the circumstances are perfect. Or start living when you exit out of the exile. Or start living when you finally feel like you're in control. Or start living when you understand everything that is happening all around you. He's saying now, even in the face of something really hard, I want you to start living your life Make roots for yourself. Be here now. Embrace the long haul. In our culture, we're not very good at the whole long haul thing, right? Like, we like the instant. We want things to resolve in the span of a half hour. We like simple steps. I want to know that Amazon can overnight it, and if Amazon can't overnight it, suddenly that's not quick enough, which is wild, because we, like, used to wait by the mailbox for things. But anyone who's ever been on any kind of journey knows that it's not about five simple steps. There's often a lot of failing. There's a lot of fumbling. There's a lot of doubt. And what's crazy, and God must have known this, is that like our tech has made everything in this world so efficient, and yet the things in our lives, like our faith, like our relationships, they're not efficient. We can't make them go faster than they're ready to go. And I realize the older I get, the more I realize how God craft is so crafty. And he knows and he understands us and how badly we want things to resolve quickly. But think about how in, in the wilderness, he gave the Israelites bread every single morning, just enough for that day. When Jesus tells us to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Not the weekly bread, not the monthly bread, not the Costco-sized bread, just the daily bread. His mercies are new every morning. Faith is a daily thing, and we have to make that commitment new each morning. I think God is telling these people in, in Babylon that life is happening right here, right now. Look around you. Life happens when you decide to be where your feet are instead of 10 years in the future or six years in the past. And being present today in 2023 when it is so much easier to be somewhere else 
is one of the greatest things that we can do, but it's also one of the hardest things that we can do. I think if God and I were texting buddies, and he would probably send me messages that were close to this. Calm down. Stop asking for signs. Just be here now. You're going to miss life if you keep asking if you're in the right place. You're here. That matters. Be where your feet are. Even just this morning, brushing up on this passage, I came across a bit of commentary from Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the Message Translation. And he said, if all you do is sit around and pine for Jerusalem, your present lives will be squalid and empty. And as I was reading that, like my heart was burning, like for somebody here tonight, who that's what you're doing. You are looking in the past, something that you willingly left, and you're romanticizing it because the present moment is hard. And I think a lot of us have done that before. When I moved to Atlanta and it was uncomfortable, all of a sudden I thought, well, I could just go back to Connecticut. I could just make it work with that guy who wanted to marry me. I could just go back to when it was simpler. And I remember flying back to Connecticut and meeting with my spiritual mentor, standing in the middle of a crowded church lobby, and I said to her, can I come back yet? Am I done? And she looked at me and she said, no, you can't come back yet. She said, you have had a lot of high highs and some low lows, and God wants to teach you how to walk with him in daily life. She said, you are in the valley. Welcome to it. Like she was like the Girl Scout leader for the valley or something, and she just welcomed me right in, and it was like the last thing in the world that I wanted to be told in that moment. But for some of us, it's easier to do that. It's easier to say, okay, well, God, I don't like the season you've put me in, so I'm just going to try to like shift away, or I'm just going to try to push into a different season. I'm sure I'm not the only person that has ever tried to do that. I'm like an expert in the seasons because, because we're here and we're in the South, and I don't know if you guys actually think that this is fall, but it is September, but this is not fall. I come from the place of like Rory and Lorelai Gilmore, like we have fall. Um, but I remember the first time that uh, fall was creeping up on the calendar, the first year I'd moved to Atlanta, and I remember a friend saying to me, I think you might want to like manage your expectations about this season. And sure enough, September 1st hit, and everybody was getting everything pumpkin, but like also wearing flannels and scarves. And I was like, it's 94 degrees right now. Like, this is not fall. Like, I can put a jacket on, and that doesn't make it fall, you know? Um, last year, I was so fed up with the fall because it's so dang hot here that I just like started pumping the air down. I started lighting the fireplace. I was like, it is Halloween town in this house. But I still stepped outside and it was close to 100 degrees, right? Because the thing is, we can't push into a season when it's not time to push into that season. And so what I had to learn to do, and this is on a much simpler letter, le uh, level than a season of heartbreak or a season of waiting, but I had to look at this season and say, okay, I might not like this season, but there are things for me in this season. So I started taking my daughter to the pool more. I started to sit outside and get that morning sunlight. I started to do things in that season to embrace the season. And I learned through that that you don't have to love the season that you're in to find God in it and for God to produce something through you in it. 
When we learn to be present in the seasons that we're in, whether they are good seasons or hard seasons, we continually see what matters most to God. And we see that answer repeating itself in our daily circumstances. People, people matter most to God. And so the second point that I draw from this text where it says, marry and have children, the Lord says. Notice that he doesn't say, stick to your own and build yourself up. He's saying the opposite here. He's saying, multiply. He's saying, stay surrounded. That first point was stay here. The second one is stay surrounded. Because the thing is, you could do faith on your own. You could try, you could struggle through it. But our walks with God become illuminated when we do them with other people. And I love the core and the mission of what you guys do on a weekly basis, reading the scriptures together, because I can tell you that is a rhythm that can go with you into every part and every season of your life. It will be an anchor. Me and a few of my girlfriends started reading the Bible together in 2021, and we read a chapter each day, five days a week, um, and we take holidays off. But um, what's amazing is that I didn't really know a lot of these women beforehand. And we started coming together over Genesis. And then we had like Moses March Madness. And then we just like suddenly were doing life together and suddenly bouncing ideas off of one another and suddenly raising our kids together. And we may not have been brought together by anything else, but we were brought together by these walks of faith. And I think and believe the same thing is going to happen for you in this semester. And so don't be concerned with what you think it's going to look like or how you think it should manifest. Just be present where you are because these people that are in your groups, they are around you for a reason. Eugene Peterson puts it, I quote him a lot because I love him. Um, You cannot be the person God wants you to be if you keep yourself aloof from others. That which you have in common is far more significant than what separates you. They are God's person. Your task as a person of faith is to develop trust and conversation, love and understanding. Now, here's the problem with that. Connecting is really hard. Genuine relationship is really hard. Showing up when it's easy and it's fun and it's filtered, that's easy. But actually showing somebody the mess is hard. The signal loneliness index um, says that 61% of us claim that we are lonely either some of the time or all of the time. That men are lonelier than women. And that the more that we connect on these devices right here, the harder it is for us to connect in real life. It's actually changing our brain chemistry because we're on these devices that we stop wanting to show up to places like this. We stop wanting to engage with people face to face because it's easier to edit, right? It's easier to filter things out. I remember right when my life crashed, I got pizza with a friend. We were coming up with a battle plan for like how I was going to fight through this depression. And I just remember her saying to me, you know, I would have never guessed this. By the looks of Instagram, it looked like you were doing just fine. By the looks of Instagram, it looked like you were doing just fine. And I think that's the reality for a lot of us, 
is that we accept these watered-down relationships and we start to confuse investing in somebody's life with investigating somebody's life. And the two are completely different. I mean, we've all probably done the investigating, right? I am not the only one that has been like, oh, she's posting with that guy and now she's not posting with him. Are they together? He's not on her Snapchat anymore. I'm not really sure. And then we kind of, and sometimes we can take it too far and just be like, oh, like what? Like, I just want to be like praying for you. I want to be praying for that girl. And we're not really investing in somebody's life. We're investigating somebody's life. And the thing is that God has something for us in community with one another. And God wants to use people to get to you just as he wants to use you to get to other people. And I know specifically, like, in my life, in the middle of that depression, um, we reached a point where we had no choice but to go to a doctor to talk about medication options. And that was really scary for me because I felt like there was a lot of stigma around medication. And it was also a time where I just felt like, I don't know where God is. I, I can't find him in daily life. I don't hear him speaking. Um, and I remember sitting in the doctor's room it's like that little room you go into before the doctor comes out. And there was a man there, and he was sitting, and he was taking notes, and he was asking me all these questions. He was asking me, you know, like, have you lost weight? Are you sleeping? Are you eating? At this point, I was, like, at rock bottom. I had lost 10 pounds. I could barely get it together to get out the door. I was just looking for any kind of lifeline. And at one point, he stopped, and he put his pen down, and he said to me, are you a Christian? And with tears in my eyes, I nodded. I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I remember he said to me, he, he stopped, and he goes, okay, I can't say this. Like, I'm not allowed to say this because of my job. But I just need to tell you right now that the devil is rejoicing, and we will not let him have you. The devil is rejoicing, and we will not let him have you. And I remember walking out of that doctor's office and calling my mom and crying into the phone like, God is here. God is present in this place. Because I never saw that man again. I never learned his name. But I know that that man saved my life by showing up and looking through all the fog and pointing me out and saying, listen, like, I know that this is a hard place, but you're going to come through this. You're going to be okay and all I can think is like, thank God for that man and thank God that that man was attached to the vine, that he would know in the spirit to say something that I so desperately needed to hear. And we have the opportunity to do that for our friends every single day if we are listening and we are attentive to what God wants to show us. And so just to give you one practical thing, you don't have to do it. You don't have to implement it. But if you do, if you want to take on a challenge, if you love a good challenge like me, um, then maybe in the month of October or maybe starting now, whether you want to do it for 30 days, you want to do it for 40 days, you pick, you make it your own. Um, but I just want to challenge you. Stop watching Instagram stories. Just stop watching them. And what will happen when you go onto the app is, you know, you go onto the app now and your little friend's faces all pop up, Right? Instead of watching those stories, I challenge you to pray for those people. I challenge you to check in with those people. 
or call those people or write those people a letter, which I know might seem strange or uncomfortable, but I've done this multiple times. And so what will happen is Instagram is going to get mad at you and it's going to want you to watch stories because you're used to doing that. And so it's going to change up the people that are showing up in that first few people. And so that's just a whole new group of people to pray for. God is going to work through it. Um, But the reason that I'm challenging you in this is because you will start to see God move so mightily in your life that we can either choose to be spectators in the stories or we can actually be in the stories ourselves. We can actually stand with our friends and link arms with them and be in the fight with them. I love that Oswald Chambers, his quote, that he says, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. Going back to the text one more time, it says right here that God says to put in gardens and to eat what grows in the country, to pray for the welfare of this city. This last point that I pull from this text is that God is telling us to stay small, to keep it small. That life, the older we get, we realize it's just a lot of small things on repeat. It's learning how to be a good steward. And we naturally associate the word steward with this idea of calling, but I think stewardship here is something so much wider than that. Stewardship is this idea that we would value our time and our resources and our gifts and the relationships we have. These are the things that if we steward them well, they should take up our entire lives. That's something that I've been learning over the last few years, that if I am honoring everything that God has entrusted to me, then I will be busy. My hands will be full These people in Babylon, they were planting gardens, they were having babies, they were seeking God, and there were definitely days where they probably wondered if it mattered. But it mattered most that they stewarded and took care of what God had given them for that moment. And I want to look at this for just a second because I think I'm probably not the only one here that like likes a good overhaul. Like anybody else, it's like you've never met a challenge you didn't love. You're like 75 hard. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to do that, right? Like you see a new trend on TikTok and you're like, that is the thing. I'm going to get a new notebook and overhaul my entire life. I'm going to be a new woman. Um, I've overhauled my life so many times to know that it never actually works, like ever. And that's because I think God can overhaul whenever he wants. But I think that we are more likely to be bite-sized people. And I think that Jesus knew that. Like Jesus said all throughout the text, like our faith didn't even have to be huge. It could be as small as a mustard seed, which is really small. But those small things compound and they grow over time. And a lot of times they grow in unseen places, in places that we can't document, in places that we can't put out there for the rest of the world to see. I always come back to the fact that Jesus, right when he was baptized, right when his public ministry was about to begin, that is when the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil And I think back to that, and I think, like, I would not want to go to the wilderness to be tested by the devil, just me, personally. Um, And I would often probably think that I would rearrange my life to make sure that I never had to go back to that place. But what you see throughout the scriptures is that Jesus keeps returning to the wilderness all throughout his life. 
at times where he needs to be alone with God, he gets in what is called the lonely place, and he meets with God. And so a lot of times we want to avoid the wilderness, and we want to avoid the unseen things, but God meets us in those places. And so thinking about your life and thinking about this semester ahead, like, what are those small things that you want to be dedicated to? Whether that looks like building your faith, whether that looks like building your health, whether that looks like building up your GPA, God is in all of those things and he can show you how to turn those into rhythms rather than a place of striving. I came across a story recently from George Mueller, um, who was a, he was a missionary. He, in his lifetime, took care of over 10,000 orphans. And I came across a story that he, in his lifetime, read the Bible more than 200 times cover to cover. I, like, did the math on that. That's probably about, like, three times, like, the Bible in a year, three times in one year. And then it goes on to say that he read about 100 of those times in the Bible on his knees, which is a little intense for me. Um, But a journalist asked him towards the end of his life, what do you still have that you want to do? And he said, I would like to read more of the Bible, which is like mic drop. He said, because I still know little about the excellence of Christ. And when I heard that, I thought, man, I want that. I want that fire. I want that passion. But how did he do it? He did it verse by verse. He did it chapter by chapter. He did it book by book. Those small things, that unseen work, it adds up and it compounds. I think that if God were to give us a purpose that was any bigger, we probably wouldn't pursue it, right? But like you tell me to build an ark and I'm probably like, that is not going to happen. That's just like too big of a work for me. But if you give me a two by four and a YouTube channel, like I can probably make something happen. But we each get these small steps and we need to be obedient and on watch for them as they come. Because when we focus on the small steps and God in the process, we can keep our head above the water when the big vision tries to swallow us up and make us forget about God. Tim Keller says, we must be stewards of our time and resources, and we must plan to use them in a way that seems to best produce fruit. We must be willing to have God edit our plans greatly and value this far more than our deliberate actions and goals. You see, I think God has things for each of us in this day, in this semester, in this year ahead. And I am a big believer that we will not miss what God has for us. But our eyes have to be open because God does not have to compete with the noise in our lives. He doesn't have to break through our distractions, even though he will. And if we don't pay attention, we miss God and all that he is doing. And so I just want to finish with one last story Um, It's one of my favorite stories and a reminder to me that like God works with us like on an individual level. Um, And so back when I was younger, um, I moved to New York City right after college. And at the time, I wasn't really like, I wasn't a believer. I had questions about God. I believed that God was real, but I didn't know if he was necessarily for me. I couldn't figure that out quite yet. Um, But I would often pray God, if you are real, like, please make it so that my life is not an accident. Because I always felt like I was made for something more, but I didn't know how to make that come to fruition. 
Um, the other prayer that I prayed uh, was kind of a strange prayer, but um, I was in love with this book that became a movie, The Devil Wears Prada. Has anybody seen it? Yes. Okay, good. You are my people, right? If you have not seen it, you need to go watch it tonight. It is a classic. But I had always prayed that my life was going, like, that I would get my Devil Wears Prada moment. And I'm not sure why that was the prayer of all the things, because if you don't know the movie, it's about a girl who goes, she moves to New York City, and she works for a uh, fashion magazine, and Meryl Streep is her boss. She's Anne Hathaway, and she's basically a devil boss that, like, makes her get lattes for her all the time and, like, do all of these crazy things, and it's uh, a horrible job. But for some reason, that was like my prayer was like, I just want that devil wears Prada moment. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know what that would entail. But years went by, living in New York City, never had that moment. Left the city, moved to Atlanta, never had that moment. Um, and a few years later, I came back to New York City to launch my first book, and um, there was a car driver that was going to take me from my hotel over to the bookstore, over to the restaurant. It was the fanciest I had ever felt in my life to have a car driver. And I got into the back of the car, and I was so nervous that I was just, like, sitting there, like, on my phone, not talking to him, not being present at all. Um, we drive from the hotel over to Barnes & Noble. He drops me off. He's like, I'll be here to take you to the restaurant afterwards. I say goodbye to him. I go to the book signing. I get back in the car. We go to the restaurant. I still don't talk to the man. We get to the end of the night, and my parents, who were there visiting the city for the book launch, um, they asked if they could jump in the car with us and go ride over to Grand Central Station. And the guy's like, yeah, absolutely, come in the car. He's probably like, please, somebody talk to me tonight. And my mom, who has never met a stranger in her entire life, just starts chatting this man up. She's like, what's your name? We find out his name is Eric. He's from Long Island. He's got this thick Long Island accent. Um, and my mom asks him, what do you love, Eric? Because like, that's totally my mother. Not what do you do, what do you love? And he just like transforms in the front of the car. And he's just like, well, I love acting. And she was like, well, have you been in anything that we've seen? He's like, well, well, I was in The Sopranos. And she's like, that's amazing. We've never seen it, but like, that's so awesome. <laughs> and he goes, well, have you ever seen The Devil Wears Prada? And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Like sitting in the back of the car. And he goes, I was the car driver in The Devil Wears Prada. He goes, I drove Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep all around the city. And the best part is that they didn't even have to train me for the role because I already knew how to drive the cars. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I know that my mom did not know the moment that was happening, but I knew, like, okay, it doesn't get much more Devil Wears Prada moment than the guy that drove Anne Hathaway around the city, driving you around the city in New York City, where there are a lot of car drivers. And I talked to him for the rest of the way home, and he dropped me off at the hotel, and I remember standing in the underpass of the hotel for a really long time, just thinking to myself, I would have missed it. Like, I would have completely missed it. Because I didn't talk to him. I didn't ask him how his night was going. I certainly didn't ask him, what do you love, Eric? That was my mom, all her. 
But God was doing something in that moment, and because I wasn't paying attention, because I was so stuck in my head, I would have completely missed something that before I even knew Jesus, I prayed so consistently that it like boggles my mind. And it was a reminder to me that like God cares about those little things. He cares about those things that you don't tell anybody about, and he wants to meet you through those things. But we have to be on watch. We have to be looking around. We don't even know if the person sitting to the right of us or the left of us is actually the answer to the prayer that we've been praying for the last year or so. It requires that we be invested and we be here in this place when it would be easier to be somewhere else. At the end of that passage in Jeremiah, it says in verse 13, you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The message version of that text says, yes, when you get serious about finding me and you want it more than anything else, I will make sure you won't be disappointed. There is nothing in the world that we can seek after, chase after, reach out to grab it, and then when we finally get it, not be disappointed. That is a promise only God can make. And everything else, the success, the career, the money, the looks, it will eventually do what it has always done. Fade, lose luster, disappoint or fail us, and stop mattering as much as it did the day we thought if we could just have that thing, it would mean everything to us. I think about Blake and what he first said to me when we met. I think how easy it is to be swept back into that narrative of mattering. And then there's that still, quiet whisper that says to me, that's not the point. The point is not to wait and disconnect for the next big thing or best thing. The point is not to run yourself ragged going after things I never asked you to go after. Cease striving. The point of this lifetime is to live right here with the people I have given you, in the place where I have set your feet. I am here, I am with you, I am in all parts. There is nowhere you can go where I am not present with you. I am always doing something even when you cannot see it happening. Stop waiting on that come matter here text. It already got sent. It was delivered hours ago. You are already needed in this place. So step into the invitation. God, we just thank you so much for this time together, God. And I'm just praying right now for the connections happening all throughout this room, God. For the women that are sitting here that maybe came in alone or unsure or feeling like, I don't even know that I want to be here, God, that you would meet each of us in a unique way, God. I pray for those secret things inside of us, God, those desires that we've never told anybody about, God. And we know that you are the person, you are the being that answers prayers, God, that you are constantly orchestrating things around us, that you are a God that loves to show off, God. And so I just pray right now for your miracles, God, for your presence, and for you to come into this place and for you to orchestrate divine connections, God, that will just blow our minds. You are able to do that and abundantly more, God. We ask all of this in your beautiful son's name. In Jesus' name, amen.